Hey, church family, so good to be together. It's camp week here at ABF. We're excited to see what God's doing and how he's moving and working. We're going to go into a time of worship. I encourage you to join us. Take my 
Well, hello there, Agora Bible Fellowship Online. So good to see you. Hopefully you're having a wonderful day. Hey, couple of announcements for you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd love to just let you know what's going on here at the church. First of all, people just need prayer sometimes, and so we would love to be the people that pray for you. So if there's anything going on, we'd love to pray for you this week. Please text any prayer request to 97000. So here at the church, we've got our ministries that kind of run regularly. We've got events going on all the time. There's a lot of different meetings that are happening throughout the week regularly. And we'd love for you to just go to the website and check out our calendar and see all the stuff that's going on this week and the, in the weeks to come. There's a ton. So we'd love for you to just go and check it out. We've got things for everyone. Also on the website, if, if you're just blessed by the ministries here at the church, whether in person or just online, uh, would you consider financially supporting us? That's the way that all of this works. Uh, and so we're just thankful for people like you that generously give. And uh, we'd ask uh, if you're interested in doing so, you can go online under the Give tab and give there. Let me pray for us, and we're going to dive into God's Word together. Uh, dear Father, um, thank you again just for another day, uh, another time to be together, to gather uh, online, and to get in your word. Um, Father, we're so desperate for you to speak to us regularly. Uh, it's not just a once-a-week thing. We regularly need your word to speak to us. And so we pray uh, that today, as we just dive in, um, Lord, that you just speak to our hearts. Um, we need you to do that. We depend on your Holy Spirit to move and work in our lives. We pray this all now in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, Josh. Uh, so good to be with you online for another service as we're working our way through this book of Hebrews, and we've arrived at the very end. We're in chapter 13, the last section. This is the 24th week. Uh, excited to be here. Hopefully, you've been uh, blessed and ministered by it. If you're not familiar, if you haven't gotten to catch uh, any of the messages previously, this is a, a letter that was written to Hebrew believers in the early church and kind of a, a charge for them, if you will, just encouraging them to, to keep going, to keep persevering. There's tons of persecution. They were abandoned. They were forgotten. They were uh, mistreated, even disowned by friends and family. And so our author is making sure that these Hebrew believers understand that Jesus is worth it. He's greater than all of these things. He's superior to all of it. He's wanting to make sure that they understand in light of their temporary trials, it's not going to matter as they race towards eternity well, I'm excited to look at this next section of Scripture, and really, uh, for me, working through this book, it's been one of those things where the same thing I've been praying for the church, I've experienced myself, that there'd be a, a movement in the hierarchy that Jesus plays in my life. The prayer that I've had for you, that there'd be movement in that hierarchy that he plays in your life, elevating him to the appropriate place. Let me pray before we explore this final charge. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather just around your word, and we do not take that for granted. It's a gift. It's a blessing to be in this uh, era, this time period where we get to learn uh, from you, from your walking here on earth, and so many things that we take for granted, God, I pray that we'd not. I pray that this time would be uh, just significant, that we'd be uh, really putting in the work to see how this speaks to and relates to us in our situation, God. And we invite that now on the power of your name and the work of your Holy Spirit behind the scenes. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, again, I want to compliment you just as, you've know, as you know, uh, this, uh, this book has not been a light one. It's been really intense from kind of the start to finish. And that's still the case here with chapter 13, where we've moved away from a lot of the theology and now a little bit more towards the, hey, so now what? The application. In fact, uh, that's where we're beginning this week in chapter, uh, th chapter 13, verse 17, with a continued charge. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
All right, we'll pause there. And here's a little honesty test for our listening audience. How many of you would say when you hear those words, obey your leaders and submit to them, that the emotion that it evokes, here's the honesty test, that it's like, man, I, I love to hear that charge. That's like sweet music to my ears. Or does it have the opposite effect? When you're told to obey and submit, does it instead turn up the hair on your neck and put you on guard? Listening to a pastor this past week, Pastor Stephen Cole, he puts it this way. He says, our nation was founded on rebellion against authority. And one of the early mottos was, don't tread on me. We have a defiant national spirit that exalts individual rights. The idea of submission to authority sounds wimpy to us. I think that's a, a good observation just in our, our culture, in our world. It's not something that's necessarily looked at in a, a appropriate or pleasant light. Instead, it's resisted and opposed, rightfully so, but because of leadership so often being misused and mistreated. It's true also within the church, people don't necessarily like the idea of submitting. In fact, so often if somebody has something that they didn't like take place in the church, their normal mode of operation is just to move on, go on to the, the, the next church, you know, move, move on. And it's hard as a pastor not to take that personally, if I'm honest with you. Heard the story this week of a gentleman that was stranded on a on an island for an extended period of time and thankfully, after many years, was finally rescued. And it was interesting to see how he utilized his time. While he was there, he built two or three significant buildings. The first one, as he's explaining this to the person that found him, he's like, this first one is my house. He walked him through it, showed all the details. The second one, it was surprising to the people that found him, was a church. He's just like, yeah, this is where I take time to worship the Lord. Uh, the, the people that were kind of hearing this, this tale and how he'd utilized his time asked, well, what is that third building over there? He's like, oh, don't worry about that. That's the church I used to attend. You see, even by himself, he had figured out that, the, that he couldn't tolerate certain parts of God's word, certain parts that we're called to submit are hard for us to swallow. And it sure hasn't helped anything with the abuse of leadership within the church. Man, it seems like new, a week of news can't even pass without hearing another story of how religious leaders have blown it. You add into that whole thing, those, the distrust that that creates, you add into that also the whole era that we're in, the postmodern era, if you will, that's uh, kind of convinced that the idea of truth being absolute is just out of touch. And, and so the idea of submitting to somebody else, you're like, well, I have my own truth. Don't try to impose your truth on me. But even with all of these present day obstacles, we still have verse 17 to deal with. So what does it actually say? Verse 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey is the idea of following direction or commands. Submit is the idea and related to our attitude in doing that. It implies a sweet spirit of cooperation that's rooted in trust. Well, how is that possible with so much going on behind, behind the scene? I think it's important to understand the backdrop to the call of the relationship between pastors or spiritual leaders and lay people within the church to understand what that partnership is intended to look like. If you do a study in 2 Timothy, it's kind of a cool thing because it's an older pastor being Paul that's explaining to a younger pastor, Timothy, what is expected of him in ministry. He explains in chapter 4, verse 2, he charges Timothy, he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. It's an important lesson for us to start with when we're thinking through this idea of submitting to and obeying. You understand, well, what is the charge of the pastor? The charge of the pastor is to teach and preach the word of God. 
So what are you being called to obey? Well, the pastor, if he's doing things right, you're called to obey what he's directing you to in Scripture. I'm not intended to give you advice on cooking or self-help ideas. Instead, I'm intended to teach you the Word of God. And you notice the words attached to that, to exhort, to rebuke, to reprove. It's not something that I'm just passing on information. I'm supposed to, if done well, to, uh, to nudge you in these particular areas. And that's the charge for us to respond to. That's why I'm diligent every single week to stick with exploring sections of Scripture rather than some kind of a felt need speech. I, I want to point you back to God's word because I believe that that's the calling on my life as a minister. And I understand what it says in the text. Do you notice what it says? As those who will give an account. Give an account to who? Someday. I will give an account to Almighty God. All the, the pastors on our team will give an account to Almighty God how they did with teaching the Word of God, what we did with the role that, you've that the Lord has entrusted us to. So I'm, under, like I'm an under-shepherd answering to a chief shepherd, if you will. Never follow somebody that doesn't understand that reality. So you're intended to obey and submit to the word we preach. And here's the thing, is it's not intended to be something that you do begrudgingly with clenched fists, and, oh man, I guess I'll follow, but instead trusting that we have your best interest in mind. I like what it points to there in the text. It says, the person that's keeping watch over your souls. You look at that idea of keeping watch that points to the idea of losing sleep over somebody, losing sleep over out of concern. I can't tell you how many sleepless nights I've come out of uh, just thinking and praying for this church. Oftentimes the waking up in the middle of the night, jotting down notes of things that I want to make sure I cover in these times in God's word. I mean, it is something that you definitely feel the weight of and labor over. So we're called to respond to that and it should be a good thing to think about having someone else concerned about your spiritual well-being. You're, you're somebody that's committed to teaching you God's word. That should be received well. That should be like, oh, they're, they're trying to care for my soul. Doesn't mean though, let's be clear on this, doesn't mean that you blindly follow without question. I invite you to examine scripture yourself. Every single week I say, well, let's make sure that we follow along in God's word, making sure that I'm pointing to things accurately. Every single week, if you're attending in person on our bulletin notes, we have a section that says, uh, emails scott at agorabible.org if you want to interact further on this topic. The idea is this is for it to be open dialogue, but once we can agree on what scripture is actually saying, then it's your responsibility to actually apply it, to implement it into your life. I do like, if I'm honest with you, it's the idea that I'm accountable for teaching, but you're accountable for following. Then it tells us, says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you kind of a charge in the interactions within the body of Christ. And I would say I'm really thankful for this church. I don't get a, a ton of grief from people in this church. There's a lot of people heading in the same direction, have the same heart and passion for the lost, love the Lord. I'm grateful for that. But in this text, in this context, it's saying, man, don't be the, the burden that weighs down and, and causes the pastor or the, those in leadership over you to be drained and worn out. Remember uh, quite a few years back dealing with a particular volunteer that was really committed and serving at every possible opportunity. But man, he always did it with a kind of a grumpy spirit and a tone and an attitude about it. And you're just like, I, I wish I could turn back the clock and say, man, don't bother. You know, it's kind of like your kids when you ask them to do something around their ha the house and like, well, dad, do I have to? Like that's not the way in the intent that God designed his church to operate. Don't do it with a grumpy spirit. The greatest gift you can give the leaders that are responsible for you is the readiness 
and willingness to apply God's word to your life. Show up. Man, I would love if even before you listen to one of these messages, if you're like, look ahead, you can see right there in the, the description what's the passage of scripture. Read through it one or t- once or twice. Pray through. Hey, God, what do you want to teach me from this? You see, there's a shared responsibility. It's not just how well I communicate it. It's also how willing you are to digest it and implement it in your life. It's a partnership is God's design. So in summary, follow me while I follow Jesus and stop if I am not. There's a a good kind of rule of thumb with this whole idea of submitting to those in leadership over you. Continuing the text, verse 18 says this. It's very closely connected. It says, pray for us for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Pause there, considering the, the weight and responsibility the author's asking for, something that I would ask for as well. Prayer. And realizing that this is a, a big role and, and we need prayer for sure. Even Paul himself acknowledged, he says this in 2 Corinthians 2.16, he says, who is sufficient for these things when discussing the role of leadership? There's a certain degree that's part of you that's just like, man, this is, this is greater than I am capable of. I need God working behind the scenes. If you know my story a little bit, I had really no intention to head towards ministry growing up. That was not even on the the radar. Remember when I was younger, I had an uncle that was a a chiropractor. And for a season, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be a chiropractor when I grow up. That's a a cool thing to be able to help people out, crack some backs. It's going to be great. Then anatomy class freshman year, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going that direction. So started heading the route of business. Thought, you know, I'd be able to uh, crunch some numbers and help a, a company out. And you see, God had a different plan. So this isn't necessarily something that I pursued But God put in place, he kept moving behind the scenes, orchestrating and moving me this direction, made himself and ministry irresistible, if you will. But really, every leader in church needs the prayers of the people they're ministering to. We're just flesh and blood, just like you are. We have our own sin struggles, our own weaknesses, our own limitations, our own blind spots. No amens here in the sermon I love what Charles Spurgeon said when asked the secret to his great influence and impact in ministry that he's had, if you're familiar with that name. His response was memorable. He said, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. So this is a charge as he's finishing up this letter, just to be uh, committed to praying for those in leadership above you. I recognize that my position for sure has a target on my back. And that's why I want to make sure, as the text says, to have a clear conscience to deal with each situation in the church in an honorable way. The last two years have been a real chore as far as that goes, just trying to navigate things and coming into impasses that you're like, man, if I go this direction, I'm going to disappoint this group of people. If I go this direction, I'm going to disappoint. There's no way out that doesn't leave some kind of a quandary as it relates to that. And I just wanted to personally thank you as a church community, just for many of you, just extending grace even to leadership during that season. Grateful for your prayers even behind the scenes. This, uh, the author clearly has something. We don't know his situation or what his need is for prayer, but he recognizes, man, he wants to be with this group of people, but he can't. There's something that's opposing that or getting in the way. We don't know what's behind the scenes, but we know that it's out of his hands. And so he's calling them specifically to pray for him. A lot of times people get kind of mixed up with this whole charge to prayer uh, as if it's something that's kind of a useless thing, if we're honest with ourselves, thinking, well, isn't God going to do what he's going to do anyway? Is, aren't we just along for the ride? See, my understanding, the more I delve into scripture, is for sure God has his will. He has a plan. He has an a end outcome. But just like those, one of those books with multiple directions that you can go, this is the same way with our God. He can go a lot of different routes and still accomplish his ultimate will and conclusions. You see with throughout scripture, example after example of how 
how prayer, the power of prayer, even redirects our own God. It's a pretty amazing thing. He responds to the prayer of his people. That's why we're charged with that. Continue in verse 20. It says this, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love the relational aspect of this section of scripture. You see it as we're working our way through it. First, he's saying, man, follow the leaders uh, that are in place. Submit to their leadership as they teach you God's word. Then he says, man, and also be praying for them because that's a huge weight to carry. But then you see here in this section that there's kind of a flip or there's kind of a turnaround. Now the author, he's asked for prayer. Now the relational part is now he begins to pray a blessing over his audience. He begins with a a prayer for their uh, sanctification, their transformation, that God would continue doing what he's doing. Let's break that down a little bit. The first thing that he says that he describes himself as the Lord, as he says, now may the God of peace. I, I want to pause there just as I was listening to a, another sermon this week on the same section. They really highlighted that idea, the God of peace. I'm like, that's a, a pretty cool and an important description of who our God is. So often we have kind of tainted views of our God. He's not a God of, uh, he's not a God of anger, not a God of disappointment. He's not the God of frustration, but rather he's the God of peace. He's working, it says, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. It's interesting to think of it, that perspective of it, just those simple words, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. He's at work. He's pleased even in the process. He's not just pleased with the finished product, but also pleased in the process. It's not a future version of you that God is pleased with, but you and I right now, as we're stumbling through this life, as we're trying to get things right, as we're failing, getting back up, taking another, another step forward, he is pleased and loves you even in that place. It's kind of a cool thing to think of him in the uh, pleased in the process of uh, he's, this picture of him saying, man, I, I love this part where he's, he's still not, it's like a, a, a dealing with a kid. Every single stage of them growing up, you're like, you're not looking forward to loving the 20 year old version of them. You're like, man, I'm enjoying every stage of the process of taking something that doesn't work and making it work, taking something that's broken and restoring it. I haven't talked about this much, but when I was growing up, I was very into drawing and any kind of a, a thing that I could uh, draw, I enjoyed doing that behind the scenes. And even in high school, my art teacher had suggested, maybe that's a career direction you want to go. Uh, I didn't end up obviously going that route, but definitely enjoyed recreationally. And I remember one particular project that he had with uh, art that he had. The, the, the teacher had us draw one big squiggly line on the page And then from that squiggly line on the page, it was our responsibility to make something cool out of what was there. It's kind of this squiggly art project where you actually came up with something. Here's a picture on the wall of one of the, not mine in particular, but the the idea or or image behind that of taking something that was just a squiggly and making something cool out of it. And that kept ringing in my mind when I was thinking about this God of peace that he's committed to transforming us. And that's the prayer of our author, just praying that God would take what's there and make something beautiful out of it. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed. You don't have a father that you can never please. He is pleased with you. Any any thought otherwise is really belittling the grace of what's been extended to you on the cross. If you think you're trying to do something to make him someday pleased on you, you you're not not realizing what was actually accomplished with his sacrifice on the cross. That was enough 
to satisfy the demands of our God. Here, continuing in the text, because of that, he's worthy of glory. But look at what he asked God to do. He tells them, equip, he wants them to equip you with everything good that you may do his will. He's calling God to make all the things that we're called to possible. It's kind of cool to think of it from that perspective, that this life is set up and teed up, that our God is working behind the scenes, providing all of these opportunities for us to, to, to do the right thing, to do something good. He's, he tees them up, and then every single day, we have opportunities to either walk through what he's teed up or to ignore it. If we do choose to follow and step out in faith, he's like, man, he comes rushing with his power to support that as we're wanting to respond to the opportunity for ministry. The part of the Christian life, if you think about it, that we're most responsible for is the part of being yielded to him. We open up the channels of, of, of God's power and his resources when we position ourselves in a spot where we're like, all right, God, here I am. Uh, use me however you want to. I'm at your disposal. That's the idea here. And this is access to the power, the same power it describes that brought Jesus back to the life. Reminds us how this was possible. It says the great, it refers to the great shepherd, the blood of the eternal covenant. What does that actually mean, the blood of the eternal covenant? I was kind of stewing on that and working through it this week. We have a gentleman in our church that's still working through faith questions and just recently having a conversation with me and he's just explaining, he's like, man, I have a little bit of trouble trying to figure out how or wondering how Jesus's death relates to me. It's important for us to understand that this term, the, the blood of the eternal covenant, you see, this eternal covenant that we're referring to is we have a God that has determined every aspect of how this life and how everything exists. He's the one that has determined right and wrong, good and evil. It's not us that's deciding that. He's the one that establishes the perfect moral standard and imprints that on our conscience. Then, not only has he imprinted that and established that, then he's determined the, the, the outcome or the result of going outside of that parameter. He said, you know what, that's going to demand a consequence. And that what he's put in place is the demand, the consequence that it demands is a blood sacrifice. It's not something that you came up with. It's not something I came up with, but almighty God, our creator designed this. And in our made in his image, we resonate with that. Man, when there's a, something wrong, there needs to be justice and there needs to be a consequence. So it's not something that's foreign to even the way that we're wired up. But here's the third part. So he establishes the rules. He determines the consequence. But then he's also the one that decides who's going to pay that price. It's, it's something either we're going to pay the price for with eternal consequence or he stepped in and got involved in the situation. Thankfully, that is the case with Jesus Christ. He came, the covenant that was made all the way back with the early sinners, with Adam and Eve and future generations saying, I, that's letting them know that he would be the one that would meet the demands of that sin. He would provide the sacrifice. So he determines the crime, the penalty, and the payment. And if we choose to accept that payment, then we experience the peace that I've already mentioned. Starts, concludes with the last couple verses here, and we'll wrap up in verse 25, uh, starting in verse 22. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with me my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released. You heard me mention him earlier. With whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Choose who come from Italy. Uh, I'm sorry. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. So this is the closing benediction, if you will, kind of the grand finale. And he says some important things. He says to bear with him. What does bear with means? This idea or picture of enduring with, to endure something. 
What is he calling them to endure? My word of exhortation. What is my word of exhortation? Basically, this, this final chapter, chapter 13, has been all exhortation. It's been all jam-packed with charges of things that they should do. It's basically this, old, this idea of redirecting their course. And when he tells them to bear with that or endure that, he understands that, man, there is a tug of war behind the scenes in the flesh, that we have a, a bent towards keep going down the road that we're already going. But what scripture calls us to, it's not a book full of platitudes and kind words. Instead, it calls us to change. And that's a, a good thing. We should see it as a gift, the invitation. So he's saying, bear with me. These exhortations, these charges to change, to, to, to line our life up with Scripture. It's consistently a beautiful invitation throughout Scripture to change. Here's the, the thing that we can do in response to that. is like I said, making sure that we're not putting all of the weight on the person doing the teaching. I'm talking about this in every scale of our church, whether it's life's groups, it's Bible studies, whether it's a, a kids program, all of these things that there has to be a, a participation part where you endure the, the charge to change and how you endure that is choosing to actually respond and to alter and adjust your life to align with scripture. So, the author's closing words are specific to that group. He's talking about Timothy. He's talking about their uh, other saints, those in Italy, sending greeting. We're not going into all of that because it's not necessarily for us. But I want to leave us just with what I would say from this section would be my closing words that are kind of taking all of what we've seen in this book and applying it. My couple closing words, just two big ideas. The first one, this Jesus thing is as serious as a heart attack. We have to take it serious. It's not something that you can do halfway. It's not something that you can ignore. For us to understand the magnitude of the horror of what an eternity spent separated from God would look like. If we don't embrace Jesus Christ for our rescue, that is where we are headed. And it's a serious thing. My hope and my prayer, even as I'm wrapping up this series, is that there's nobody listening to this now that doesn't call out to the Lord Jesus. Like, that's anybody that can't point to a time where that's happened in their life. Man, I even just want to pause just for a moment now, just before we wrap up and just leading you in a prayer where you can respond to the amazing grace that Jesus Christ offers. It's as simple as you just saying, Dear Jesus, I've fallen short of your perfect standard. That shouldn't be hard for any of us to admit. I embrace the payment that you made on the cross for my sin. I'm desperate for it. I can't do this on my own. I accept that free gift and I want to live my life for you from this day forward. For anyone that's just prayed that simple prayer, I would love to hear that. Just send a quick note to us here at the church. Man, that's a redirection of your eternity. And it's not that complicated, but it will change everything in your life if you actually choose to fully follow. You see, the lordship of Jesus changes things. And that's the, the second part that I want to uh, remind us of. And the second charge is my parting words is that these parameters that he's put in place are for our best interest. And if you want to live a healthy, God-honoring life, free of a lot of misery and pain, I would charge you to stay within the lanes that scripture has put in place. What do you mean, pastor, stay within the lanes? He's put a lot of parameters that are our best interest in mind. And here's the thing. This life, even when you stay within the lanes, there's plenty for us to run into. There's plenty of hardships even within the lanes. But when you start off-roading, you are going to get some unnecessary dings and bruises, if you will. I was growing up, my good friend Doug his grandmother and grandfather, as their, their health was fading, they had an older car 
And it was interesting, we'd laugh about it then. It's actually kind of scary when you think about it now. They, their car would always come back with, after they're out and about driving and going and doing whatever they're doing, their car would always come back. We'd see it in the garage and it have like new sets of like significant dents and scrapes. I'm not talking about door dings. I mean like a bumper hanging off, a big cut, a scrape along the whole side. And you're just like, what off-roading did they do? What kind of stuff did they get into on the way to Walmart? Like what was actually happening there? I think about that picture and I think that's so often the case when we go outside of the parameters of our God. When he's put all of these things, he says, you keep going within this and man, your life is going to be free of a lot of pain and misery. That's the charge from this is not just embracing him as savior, but allowing him to play the appropriate role as Lord in our lives as well. Well, again, I want to encourage you for staying the course in this series. It's been a, a blessing to me, hopefully a blessing to you as well. Let me just wrap up our time in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this book. What an amazing gift it's been for 24 weeks, just walking through reminders of you being greater than everything. I pray that that has caused movement in our lives, movement in the, the hierarchy that you play in our lives, that you'd be elevated appropriately in response to this. I pray for even just some of the lessons that we're learning here, that there is a responsibility to actually apply the word, that it's not something that we can just allow it to puff up in knowledge, that we'd actually take it and allow it to shape us, to redirect us, to uh, align us with your design. God, we thank you for your patience and your grace and all of this. We can't do any of this in our own strength. We're fully dependent on you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord turn his face toward you and give you peace sing that again together the lord bless you
His favor be upon you in a thousand generations, in your family, in your children, in their children, in their children. May His favor be upon you in a thousand generations, in your family, in your children, in their children, in their children. May His favor be upon you for a thousand generations and your family, your children, and their children, and their children. May His favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. May His presence go church. Well, as usual, any way that we can serve you in the course of the week, feel free to text us at 97,000. It's a great way to stay in touch. We get that immediately in the office and can respond and come alongside of you. I'd love to hear if there's anyone that made a first-time decision to follow Jesus Christ. Man, if you haven't, my prayer and hope is that you continue to wrestle through that, wrestle through that invitation. I pray that the Lord would become irresistible in your life. God bless you. Have an amazing day.